What's good, everybody? I'm John Zastrzemski, host of New York, New York with JJ, the first podcast on the Ringer and Spotify dedicated to you, the New York sports fan. We've got episode three nights a week, plus bonus episodes whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow the show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. After four years away, it's the return of a fan favorite, Arby's Brown Sugar Bacon Sandwiches. Stacked with sweet and savory bacon that will give you a candied feast for the senses. Available in BLT, roast beef, and turkey sandwiches. Try Arby's Brown Sugar Bacon Sandwiches today. Order the sandwiches online or on the Arby's app. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Limited time offer at participating U.S. locations while supplies last. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network. If you missed part one of this Sunday night extravaganza with me and Rosilla, we broke down the East the Knicks, the Celtics net series, all that stuff. You can uh, check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously you're listening to them because you got this one. Part two is going to cover the West. We just watched Mavs clips. Let's bring in Pearl Jam again, just for the hell of it. All right, part two of the Sunday extravaganza. Not as fun as last weekend's. We The, the game's kind of, for the most part, sucked this weekend. And uh, Priscilla, if you spoil Mayor of Easttown for me, I'm walking off my own podcast. So if you know if you know the murderer is, don't tell me. I, um, you know what? I, I didn't know anything about it until I caught it an episode. And it's it, like I caught randomly an episode in the middle of the season. And then everybody's freaking out about it. So the guy behind it is amazing. So... You should watch it. It's really good. Plus, Kate Winslow plays a former high school basketball star. So that alone should suck you in. Uh, speaking of sucking us in, so we were doing LA Panic Button stuff a week ago. And even as recently as like Thursday night, you would have said LA Panic Button, Clippers, 15 out of 10, Lakers, 2 out of 10. It is now flipped. And we can start with Clips Mavs. We, we just watched it. It is uh, almost 9 o'clock here Pacific time. Luca's at 50%. He got hurt in the first quarter of game three. I think I know when it happened. It was like he kind of collided with Rondo on a drive. And from that point on, just seemed like not a shell of himself, but not quite as good. He was in such a good groove those first two games. And even the first couple minutes of game three, the series flips. And now it seems hopeless. Do you think they should have just not played him tonight? Would you arrested him and just said, let's throw away game four. We, we got to get him in shape for these last three games because he didn't look right. No, I, I wouldn't because I, I don't know the the magnitude of it. Um, you know, if they said he's good to go and he's ready to go out there, then then fine. But I mean he's missing all of his free throws now, too. He's all over of five them. for the free throw line tonight. He's gonna be, I think, in the thirties, thirty something percent for the series. But it was weird because they were up 
what, 14 to two in game three. And, and you're sitting there going, all right, what's going to happen to this team? You know, like, cause I was open to like any possible storyline that you want to talk about and a team that let's face it. I think the criticism of the Clippers is that they don't have a ton of foxhole guys, right? They have guys that you go, eh, this, this team, once it starts going South, there's some guys that just aren't mentally tough enough. And they've shown everybody, at least in these two games, the way they responded. So, uh, look, I personally would not be sitting Luca unless somebody told me, like, emphatically that, yes, this this guy shouldn't have played game four. So I thought he had moments. He played well in the second quarter. So Doesn't look like himself. The, the, back to the Foxhole thing, the Clippers, basically, they played seven guys tonight. They played man a little more in the second half, but they went down swinging with the Batum, Leonard, Morris, Jackson, George, and then a little Zubach, and some important Rondo. I think Rondo, uh, the last two games really helped them. And I thought he was the key to game three when, uh, when it looked like it was slipping away. Then obviously Luca wasn't a hundred percent, but they just kind of, they, they hit this point where it was like, who are our five guys? And I thought Rondo did some good stuff in that one. But really the story is Kawhi. Kawhi's stats in this series now, he's scored 132 points in four games, which goes to, that's about 34 a game. He's made 47 of 75 field goals. So he is on pace for 60% for the series. He was awesome in the first two games that they lost. I, you know, I think he could have guarded Luka more. But um, we were talking in part one about is Durant, who is the best player in the league, who's the most talented player in the league. And then Kawhi just kind of under the radar, doesn't say anything. Um, but meanwhile, has looked as good as I think he's ever looked. I don't know if I'm ready to go there because I think the Toronto, the two-way player that you got out of him then um, where... Good good know, point. The, the two-way, you're right. Two-way right. Kawhi, probably better two years ago. Offensively, this is the best he's looked. Yeah, but I remember last year too kind of going like, hey, look, Giannis is probably the best player in the world. And then the series against Miami happens. And then I remember having a moment where I'm like, you know, look at Kawhi. When he wants to dribble India with his shoulders and get up from the elbow, there's nothing you can do with it. It's ridiculous. And how efficient he is on that move. And so then I'm like leaning towards Kawhi. I think I did three different guys through the whole deal. And then LeBron at the end of it reminds us like, why are we picking any of these people over right. LeBron? So this has been incredible from Kawhi. And tonight was easy. Tonight was really weird. I mean, they, I mean, guys were touching the ball, but it felt like Kawhi and Paul George could do whatever they wanted to. And then, you know, at one point I was looking at it. I mean, it really comes down to shooting in this one. At one point in the third quarter, and these are rough numbers, but I had it like the Clippers were 50% from three and Dallas was three for 20 from three. Mm. And Doncic is a big part of that because, I mean, the game plan is you're going to try to let somebody do something. So you say, hey, let's let Doncic shoot. And if you look at him as a shooter, first three years of his career, 33%, 32%, 35%. Last year against the Clippers in that series, 36%. He was 46% in the first three games of this series. So, you know, to see him cool off had to happen. And then you factor in the injury part of it as well. So the Clippers are doing something that I don't think many people felt great about, especially when they lose the first two at home. So I guess we have to retire the how stupid the Clippers were for wanting to play Dallas, or we could say they're super lucky that Luca got hurt because if you had freeze framed that game when it was fourteen to two, it seemed like they were going to get swept and Ka Kawhi was going to be on a different team a year later and he got hurt. Maybe, it, maybe. Well, I mean, right. It's almost like uh, it's to me. It's you almost have to think about the Mavs like a football team, where it's like one of those Brady years where he's doing it with. You know, 
a whole bunch of non-all pros, but he's the key to the engine. And then he gets hurt and you just kind of know they don't have a chance if he's not 100%. I feel like that way with Luca. I don't think the Mavs are capable of beating any team in the top seven in the West unless he's 100%. They're just not good enough. They don't have enough talent. They were doing a Boban... KP Twin Towers thing in the fourth quarter, which I was kind of digging, by the way, but it was like, that's how desperate they were. It's not like they had some heat check to come. It's a little similar to the Celtics where it's like, all right, you look down the bench, it's like, there's Grant Williams, there's Semi Ojale, there's Trey Burke. You, you know, at some point you're built around one guy and if anything happens, you're screwed. Yeah, I also think the funny thing about the Clippers, like, let's face it, People don't like the Clippers in a way that's more unique than any other franchise that's in it. Would you agree with that? Like people hate Boston because of Boston. Um, you know, there's always going to be the anti-Lakers thing of non-Lakers fans. But there's there's people that don't even care emotionally that just love hating on the Clippers. I would and, say if you're talking about the hate the hater rankings, Brooklyn's got to be number one. Um, I think most people have some sort of bone to pick with Brooklyn. How that team was put together. The Katie Kyrie thing, just that whole partnership, and then how Harden kind of tanked his way in Houston really? to get there. I th- yeah, I, I, I feel I like think a lot of people are against them. I think there's a younger generation of media people that just don't care how any of the teams are put together, and maybe they're we're right, talking about media you know? people or fans though, because I feel like the fans are like, "Fuck those guys!" I hope they lose. Plus, Brooklyn doesn't really have any fans, so it's not like they did this with like the Bulls, and it's like now the whole Chicago fan base is behind them. Michael Strahan was at a game. Fair. Fair. A uh, couple, couple key bloggers. I, I think, think there's, there. a, there's a weird anti-Clippers thing, though, that's, that no, you're seems right. excessive for a team that it's like, what have the Clippers ever done to you? And it's coming off the 3-1 loss to Denver, and then it carries in. And, you know, I, I thought it was kind of weird that, you know, the only way you could ever talk about the storyline is like, oh, Clippers, this, they, they deserve what they get. They're tanking those last two games. They want to avoid the Lakers. And I get people not liking it because it makes them look soft as an organization. And, hey, you're ducking this other team when you're going to have to play them at some point. Anyway, Dallas was trying to lose to, <laughs> to avoid what what was so – that was never they were, It was up. like a so, double tank off happening yeah, but nobody, simultaneously. Nobody's yeah. bringing that up um, because, I, again, the Clippers are – it's not being held to a standard. I just feel like there's, and I'm not telling you, hey, everybody, love the Clippers, give the Clippers a hug. I just find them suffering. There seems to be more enjoyment with their suffering than other fan bases, or excuse me, of other franchises. Yeah, but it's you not know, even the fans. But you know why that's happening because they orchestrated the whole Kawhi George thing and they talked a lot of shit and they talked about how they're going to take the Lakers from the LA from the Lakers. And then in the playoffs last year, they were puffing their chests out. They're talking shit to everybody and acting like they'd won the title and they hadn't won anything. And basically Kawhi had won the title, but none of the other guys had done anything. And I think people don't like that. They don't like front runner stuff. And especially if the front runners can't back it up and completely unravel and then start making excuses, which they did last year. Yeah, they did. People don't did. like that. Yeah. Look, again, I'm not sitting here telling you be nicer to the Clippers. <laughs> I just <laughs> that would be a just, good segment. <laughs> Coming up next on the jump, be nicer to the Clippers. <laughs> uh, the, as far as the LA stuff, though, I I think a lot of that's marketing. You know, a lot of that is marketing. What marketing that you're trying to make any kind of dent in this city for that fan base? Which Nobody cares. Is impossible. If, if right. we have a Brooklyn Clippers fan base, it'll be a race to see what's the more depressing parade. For who wins. I can't even imagine who's going to have less people. You'll go. You'll go to the Clippers parade. <laughs> I really won't. 
What I if you're invited? Will not go. What, no, what's the equivalent of a duck boat out here? Not not going. You won't be in the Coliseum, sitting next to Balmer, high fiving him. Maybe no. like in the maybe a third row. I do like Balmer. I really do appreciate the energy and you know the checkbook that he brought to the Clippers to try to make them relevant again. Like I can I, see I, kudos yeah. to that dude. I can see like Steely Dan coming out to play and you and Balmer in front <laughs> with David Show, the artist. Yeah, Balmer's buddy. You and Goldstein just hugging it out. <laughs> You're wearing a vest. <laughs> Well, the irony of this Clippers thing would be if uh, if they get crowd crowds back, right? Like there was a huge crowd at the Celtics game today. The crowds are coming back. I think, I don't know what the rule is with LA with how many people can go to Staples, but the Clippers are probably one of the few teams that are like, we've got our crowd back. And it's like, eh, not that great of a crowd. There's good sections in the crowd, but there's also a lot of fans at every in every series rooting for the other team, which is a problem. I remember when I was doing the the playoff stuff and I was looking ahead, I started digging into like who was going to have how many, like what capacity, like, oh, well, this team's going to have 10%, but this team's going to have 75%. And then I was like, I don't care. I'm like, just, just when the game's on, I'll turn it on. I'm not going to start picking teams that I wouldn't normally pick because of the crowd disparity. You know what I've enjoyed? I've enjoyed two crowd moments since they came back. The, uh, the, the first and second Knicks games were awesome. I just really enjoyed it. It really felt like basketball. That was awesome. Life was yeah. normal. Yeah. And then the... Uh, the guy the that brute, threw the water bottle at Kyrie? No, nah, we'll get to him later, that fucking oh. dick. I hate I that know. guy. God, I hate that guy. Um, the Bruins crowd last night was awesome. And you don't realize, I was watching with my cousin Brian, you don't realize how weird hockey was with the empty seats around the rink. You know, and then all of a sudden there are people there and everyone's alive and pasta had a hat trick. Everyone's throwing their hats on the ice. I'm like, we're back. Society is back. There's a hat trick with fans throwing hats on the ice. We're back, baby. I love now, it. I, I would give Memphis their home basketball games, maybe the best in arena sound. They, they did a great job. The, yeah. The music. Three, great job. Memphis has been doing this for years, so this yeah. isn't new. But every time I'm watching Memphis on League Pass and I listen to the what the DJ's doing, I was like, this is incredible. This would be like me 10 cores lights in in college, like annoying <laughs> everybody at a house party, just going, I got this. Don't worry about it. And that's what they do. But the Bruins are right up there uh, for for obviously the hockey games. Rousseau, the Bruins are going to win the Stanley Cup. They're really good. They're actually favored. I went to go bet them today. And I'm like, oh, shit, they're they're actually favored. Other people agree with this. This this Taylor Hall trade um, is probably the greatest midseason trade they've made since the eighties. They they basically like imported this dude who was this struggling superstar yeah. who's now looks like a superstar again. So, I've I, watched never, all the games. I don't know enough about it to to add to it. Other they've than, never had two lines like this. It's I've, unbelievable. <laughs> I'll I'll admit there are nights at the NBA, and this weekend was rough. Other than the Memphis Utah game, and then you know I know we'll get to Suns Lakers because there was at least some intrigue mm. there. But there's been too many nights where the second TV, I'm like peeking over, and then I realize I have to rewind the basketball game. Well, the worst one has been Portland Denver, which we're going to talk about way later because it's been so uh, so aggressively. Uninteresting. It's so clearly headed to a game. So we'll talk about that. Can we finish the clips really quick? Yeah. Um, they're stuck now with Kawhi, George, Batum, Jackson, Morris, Zubach, and Rondo. And I'm stuck. Like they're stuck on those seven guys. They kind of get it now. They started Jackson tonight too. Yeah, yeah. I had Jackson there. I'm just saying, like those are their no, seven. No, I'm just right. Okay. 
They're going to go small. Um, Zubac is going to play a ton. And then you look at this next round, assuming they get by Dallas, which I'm going to, I've done a 180 on this series. If Luke is not 100%, I don't think Dallas has a chance. They play Utah next round. I don't think they're going to be able to go small like that unless they're hitting threes like they did today, which brings us to the conundrum of talking about the Clippers. It's the, probably the most boring team to talk about because if the threes go in, they look great. And if they don't go in, they're going to lose. And I, I, I wish I had, it's almost like talking about a hockey team where it's like, yeah, they got, you know, got to have that hot goalie come playoff time. And there's like nothing to say. The Clippers, it's like, if the threes go in, they're really good. And if they don't go in, they're not good. I can't imagine another game, the rest of the playoffs being easier for their two wings to get involved. Um, George was, George has had moments too where he's been really aggressive. I mean, I call him 30-13 because he can get 30 in these yeah. games. And his overall shooting line isn't going to look that good, I think, tonight. But you could see early, and I even saw from him in game two when they lost, where at least it was getting to him of like, hey, I need to attack. And really, when you look at the wings, I mean, Kleber's the guy that's on, on Kawhi. So if that's the case, you know, they can, they can spread him out and go. I mean, it's a Clippers team that had, what, six guys over 40%, which had never happened in an NBA regular season, if that number still held up. I know that it's what it was towards the end of the year. But I'll admit, after the first two games, I was starting to think about all those the times now, you know, three years of talking about this, the separation of what regular season and, and postseason basketball looks like, where, okay, if you have a team that's so reliant on the three, you never really figured out your rotation, and you have a couple guys that I think have checked out historically, uh, not talking about Kawhi, obviously, and Ty Lue in his first year when it felt like everybody was on Doc because of the Montrez. And look, there was some rotational stuff with Doc where he was stubborn about it and, and people got pissed and he ends up in Philadelphia and then Lou's supposed to fix it. And then you see some of the same stuff where you're like, why Why are you closing with this group? Or why, you know, look, Zubac, I think they want to get him in, but then he gets exposed in some of the switches. So all of these things are happening and it seems, this is sports. It seems unfathomable that this is the same matchup for four games. It just and does. It, I, you know, and so now you're sitting here going, all right, they go back to LA five. If Doncic isn't right, then it is over. But I'm, I don't know. Maybe you just chalk it up to, you know, was Dallas going to continually shoot it the way they've shot it? And that's, I think, what was so frustrating about game one for the Clippers is they're looking at it going, okay, we had a plan and it didn't matter. And Doncic just destroyed him. It's tough to overreact to this stuff because I thought the Suns were done and then Chris Paul, oh, I'm going to do it. Your favorite thing. What percent was Chris Paul today? Um, I got to say, he looked in the 55, 62 range. And then today, I got to give him like 81 to 83% today. That's how I thought he looked today. He made his, uh, his patented drive to the right hop step fall away, jump thing a couple times, which means his shoulders at least functional. To me, Doncic looked 50% today. And I don't think that gets better in two games, but I also, in two days, but I also don't want to do the thing I did with Chris Paul. I'm like, oh, he's done. The Suns are done. And then with the treatment they have now and all the shit you can do, and if you have some injured part of your body, they really can speed up the treatment in a way where in the old days it would be two weeks and now it's 48 hours. So who knows? Luca could come out for game five and look awesome, but he looked like shit today. Well, at least with Luca, he's so young that you'd expect, you know, his recovery is going to be far beyond most stars, but he was wincing all of game three. You Him know, and Mitchell had a wince off this playoffs. You, <laughs> Mitchell, Mitchell was making shots last all night first and team still wins. miserable. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that game because that was the first thing. When he hit the three, 
over Valanciunas. Well, we'll save it for later. But I was like, is he still mad about something, or what's what's going on here? But do you think do you think the last dance was the worst thing that happened for some of this stuff? People watch Jordan the flu game. And they're like, if I'm ever not feeling well, I'm just gonna wince my fucking ass off every Look time at LeBron. I'm making shots. LeBron was almost blinded in that Golden State game. I forgot about that. They, he, he seems okay. His eyesight seems all right. He yeah. Thought he had uh, like a detached retina, but apparently not. Yeah, he was um, seeing three rims out there. Yeah, just picked the one in the middle. But are we still on Dallas Clippers here? Because I think we're good. no. I think we can. Uh, I think we can take. Well, crisis averted for the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. At least now we won't start planning when their they, off season. Kawhi won't be in a Miami jersey yet. <laughs> when they went to commercial on Friday night when it was fourteen to two, I would have bet everything I own <laughs> that it was headed toward a Mavs win and the whole thing. It's like really a crazy moment. And I remember, like, I knew Luca got hurt when I was watching. The announcers missed it. And I rewound it. And it was like Rondo kind of came in. Luca was driving down the middle. And Rondo came in. And he just kind of hit wrong. And then he walked away. And he was, like, doing this thing with his arm where he was doing, like, the, the when you have, like, a starting pitcher who you know his arm's kind of fucked up, they start, like, doing the shoulder thing. And it was like, oh, that doesn't look good. And he was, like, never the same from that point on. Uh, all right. We'll take a break. We're talking Lakers-Suns. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. So I'm watching Lakers Suns today. Lakers go up like 10 in the second quarter. I got Murph, you know, my puppy, who's basically the real life Marley and me dog. And uh, he's acting frisky. And anytime he really wants to go out, he just starts like jumping the other dogs, like drive by, drive by shooting the other dogs, punching them and just gets really rowdy. He's like a hockey force. So I'm like, I gotta take him out, take him for a walk, come back. The Suns are winning and Davis is out. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> I thought I left it the safest part of this game. I was like, ah, the Lakers are going to go up 3-1. This is a wrap. Um, and the whole series flips. And Davis doesn't come back. And LeBron had a bizarre game where he's doing this thing now where he's just, he's got a couple different levels and he doesn't, he doesn't go into fifth gear really for for more than a half, but today he was trying to make it so he only went into fifth gear for like a quarter and a half. So I think he's saving whatever is in his tank for later. So finally he's flicked the switch and that didn't work either. And the Suns had an answer for everything. Aiton was a monster. Now it's 2-2. Going back to Phoenix, I don't think Davis plays and the groin thing is tough with the, uh, with, you know, they said it was day to day, but even if he plays, I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent. And the Suns have five and seven at home. I thought this series was done, Rosillo. Now I don't know what to think, but I'm happy for you because your guy, your guy, Chris Paul, who's headed for yet another terrible playoff collapse. And now the, the, the switch has been flipped 
and he has a chance to put LeBron and the Lakers away. You got to be out of your mind. Well, I've been pretty bummed out. I'm not going to lie to you, you know, because you could tell in games two and three, you're like, all right, now, now what? You know, because it just, it was real. It was real and it wasn't happening. And then today the news is a game time decision. I don't know if there was a little gamesmanship in that. I think so there was. There's the first thing I'm looking for is how does he look? But the thing is, if you've watched Chris Paul with this team in particular this season at all, he will not coast. Some guys coast. Paul doesn't coast, but Paul will balance the needs of those around him with his own aggressiveness, right? Because if he wanted to take more shots and score 25 a game, Chris Paul could still do that, but he doesn't. So sometimes it's a little hard, but you could tell like there was dribbling stuff that he was doing today. You're like, all right, that looks better. Some passing angle stuff. Okay, that looks better. Driving hard in the paint and then coming up and, and pulling up. And then, you know, there was just some little, little seeds of it. And well, he was also doing the fast stomp that LeBron does too. When they're really into the game, they, they do the, they're stomping around. They just have a different energy. Even like with during dead balls, they're just kind of, they're kind of manic almost. And that he had that today, which made me think he was all right. So at 54-50 at half, and you're right, the Lakers are up 36-25 in this one. But Davis still hadn't really done anything. Like, I think he'd only taken two free throws. He only like two points in the paint. And you're going, what is up? With, like, And look, I, I love Anthony Davis. I defend him all the time, but I get the critiques of him. We're like, do you really need to do this again after game one? To like, you're going to take off a half here in, in game four? And it's a Lakers team that still, you know, Gasol in this matchup is actually okay. Unless they were going to try to find a way to abuse him on perimeter screens, but they weren't really doing that. So it was clear like Gasol was a better finisher. But at 54-40 at the half, Paul turned it up in the start of the second half. And at this point, we still weren't sure what was going on Davis, even though we found out pretty soon afterwards. And I remember writing them on notes when I still thought AD might come back. I was like, wait, can the Suns win this game? Can they still win this game? Because what they were doing was off a miss, they were pushing. And Aiton got that seal on LeBron. They yeah. went like an 8-0 run. I think it was 60-50 at that point. And then even off a make, they pushed it. And Paul was pushing it and going like, let's go. Let's go. And I'm like, he's back. I was like, he looks back to me. Maybe not 100% because Booker was struggling too as well. But you could see um, an awareness of them. Like, we have a chance here. And then you find out Davis isn't coming back at all. So I'm not going to sit there and be like, hey, the Suns figured him out. We don't know. But no, Davis, I mean, Davis was the whole reason why I was like, as much as I want to pick Phoenix and as much as I love their group and they know what the rotation is and how all the pieces fit, when it's right between L.A. and Phoenix, it's clearly a Lakers series. But now with the Davis part of it and him being that big and all the injuries and all the stuff that he deals with, like a groin is brutal, especially a guy that big. So he might come back, but if he's passive when he was healthy, what the hell is he going to be like with a strained groin? Is he really going to be taken to the hoop and, and setting up and being physical the entire time? Because, you know, the criticism on him when he's not doing that stuff, he just kind of lets himself get into these situations where he doesn't look like he's assertive enough. So I don't know what to make of it, but Phoenix has a real chance here if we're talking about a non-100% Davis, which is what I would expect the last three games. It's been the full Davis package in this series. Really has. He's gone down at least four times like he was shot. He's had, uh, I'm not sure that was an injury, and we've had, this was definitely an injury. He's also been awesome um, a couple different times. And when he's right, the Lakers still seem unbeatable to me. I uh, Near the end of game three, there was this moment that made me think this series was over and the Lakers are going to win. It was when LeBron had that back and forth with Crowder. And he posted him up in front of the bench and the whole bench was up and LeBron was just like really fucking with him. 
He's smiling, remember? And, and Drummond was pretending to post up like a shadow as yeah. LeBron was posting up and LeBron was smiling and then he scored and I was just like, this is the kind of shit you do when you know you have the series. And at that point, I was like, the Lakers have the series. This is a wrap. So the two things flip. And when LeBron flipped the switch today and was like, all right, I'm going to have to take this over. Couldn't really totally take it over. The Suns, I thought, did a really nice job, like staying in front of him. Aiton was immense. And we should just have the Aiton conversation now. Because when you take a guy first in the draft and you have Luca on the board and they passed up and the catch would be, well, we already have Booker. This guy has a chance to be the second best player on a, on a really good playoff team because he can protect the rim. He can rebound. He can do lobs. He can do all these things, young legs. And there's not a lot of these types of guys. So we're not going to take Luca because we already have Booker. Now, obviously they should have taken Luca, but how this Aiton thing has played out and how he's played in this series at least doesn't make it a disaster. And I think that that draft has become really fascinating because you had three teams pass on a generational superstar. But two of the three teams got guys that weren't bad. The only one that's really a disaster is Sacramento with Bagley. I mean, that's like historic almost at this point. You're you're almost ready to put Bagley in the buoy, the same buoy paragraph. But Aiton is going to make an all-star team and he could be like the third best guy on a championship team. Yeah, I think the Aiton story has been all over the place if you watch it all year. Uh, yeah. I think it was very clear about midway through the season, I felt like Booker and Paul were kind of sick of him. And I'm telling you, like, I would look at we it in the fourth quarter and saying, like, eh, they don't even want to, they're not even looking at him because they don't trust him to catch it. And Booker even had a play in the first half where he got it to eight and then eight and fumbled it. And then Booker he, he got mad at him. At yeah, right, he got mad at him. him. And so I think it's a, well, it's an educated observation that there were moments where those guys were were frustrated with Aiton. So because he's the number one pick and you start going like, hey, his ceiling is probably a little bit lower than you'd want as a number one pick. But I've seen from him stretches now, and even in this series, he battles his ass off, man. He really, really tries and he cares and he's athletic enough that he's going to, I mean, he had 17 boards today, so it wasn't even the scoring, but also get, having him get out and run and transition off of those misses and yep. like, hey, I'll be running. Like, you may not get it to me all the time, but I'm going to be out here and running and I'm not going to give up. And the fact that on paper, how outmanned this front line is and, and he's out there battling, I have a ton of respect for him, even if I feel like, okay, maybe he's not going to be this like superstar. I still think that's a bit of a reach, but, yeah, but he cares. He, he absolutely like he cares. And I, I think it's really great for his growth. And I think there were some concerns where halfway through the year, you might've been like, shit, what's this guy going to be? And I just feel better about it now. This is why I love the playoffs. I mean, there's a lot of reasons I love the playoffs, but you know, you, you're looking under the hood at this point with the playoffs. You can have yeah. the car, the car can look nice in the driveway. But when the playoffs come around, now we get to look under the hood and see what's actually in there. This dude really gives a shit. He's really competitive. He doesn't take plays off. Um, he just tries. And he's not, you know, he. I don't think he's as talented as mid-2000s Dwight was when Dwight, when his career started to kind of take off. And it was just like, this guy might be the second or third best athlete in the league other than LeBron and T-Mac. You know, and it's yeah, like, I mean, Pete Dwight, as much as you Pete and I Dwight. talk about him, Pete Dwight was was a guy you'd start your franchise with and feel great about. I had him, I think I had him number one in the trade value one year, number two behind LeBron and stuff like that. 
Aiton's not that kind of athlete, but he gives a shit more than Dwight did. He might be better in that he doesn't expect to close the game with 10 post possessions where that was the biggest frustration with Dwight. Was he Dwight wanted to be, right. Yeah, Dwight wanted to be that guy and, and he just wasn't good enough offensively. You, you know what else? He's good around the rim. He's he's not clumsy. I think he's got well, nice, he could catch nice better. hands. No, yeah. he could, but he's a young player, though. I, yeah, like, there's something, there's something with him with on that, though. No, I'm not. I'm telling I'm you. I'm talking I've about seen... around the rim, like catching rebounds and stuff like that. Like, he's got decent hands. I, the the frustration with him is like the pick and rolls with with Chris. That's that's when he gets exposed. He's not a Mars Stoudemire. He's just not. Yeah, I don't know what his go-to is. You know, he's just, he's down. But I, I don't want to, look, I, I think we're just being fair in his limitations. I think this is who he is. Yeah. I think he's a 20 and 15 guy in the playoffs who you don't have to run plays for, which is great because they have Paul. <laughs> Nobody wants Booker, to run plays for bigs shooters. anyway. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I don't want to run plays for Aiden. You know what I want you to do? Run the fucking floor, protect the rim, get me some offensive rebounds. And when you're around the basket, you know, put the little three footers in. That's it. I, I don't want to run plays for you. Like, this is the problem with Porzingis, where you could see it in game three, where it's like Porzingis is like, oh, Lucas hurt. I'm going to post up. It's like, all right, this has, what, a 40% chance of working out, the the Porzingis post up? I don't want any post up. But he's a problem because, you know, you could tell when he's out, they're kind of trying to survive those minutes, right? And if if we want to get conspiracy theory about this series, if the league wants the Lakers to advance or they want a game seven, the quickest way to do this will be in game five or in game six, he'll get two fouls in the first three minutes. Right? They'll be like, oh, Aiden's got two fouls. Here we go. Now, you still believe like, in that stuff? I do. I do. You don't think don't, anyone would ever, that would, like all the people that have to be involved in that happening, you don't think anybody eventually would like, and I'm not I'm talking Donaghy, that somebody wouldn't be like, hey, this I'm is I'm not saying it's a Donaghy thing. I'm saying it's a, if somebody's really physical, the other team sends in the clips, be like, hey, watch Aiton. Aiton's pushing off on those offensive rebounds. Aiton's coming in. Aiton's not keeping his feet set on those picks. And then the next game, the refs are like, oh, I have these strings in my head with Aiton. And then, you know, they're just more aware of them. And I think that does happen. I think refs that, that's overreact yeah. to things from games before. Yeah, I'm not going to say they're going to come out and be like, all right, get two fouls on Aiton, but they could call games in a way where somebody like him could get fouls more easily. The game today, the Celtics-Nets game, you know, the, like Tristan Thompson could add 20 fouls in that game if they called it correctly. Like, they they can kind of decide what they're going to call game to game. Um, well, Tristan could have 20 fouls. Yeah, you're right. I mean, literally in any game. What happened to him? How does he not know how to defend pick and rolls anymore? That they Remember, that wanted, was the thing. They won a title be... with him in crunch time, defending pick and rolls. Yeah, he that can't used to defend be... pick and rolls anymore. He's like, he's like, he had like a head injury. Um, anyway, Aiton, great <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, you had sent me a text because, you know, they got a big there late and LeBron did get more assertive and you could kind of tell like, you know, when Dallas doesn't have Doncic out, out there, it's a mess. And, I think sometimes it's kind of like our Westbrook thing in the past where when you have Westbrook play a certain way all regular season and you're used to playing a certain way around him and then it's like, oh, no, now you do something. It's like, wait, what? Like, okay, you want me to do something? And I think Dallas has a little of that. Although Brunson can be assertive at times. And and when Dallas looks good, you're like, oh, Hardaway's got a little something. And look at this guy. I mean, Josh Richardson, I don't know what the hell happened there. But the Porzingis part where they try to go through him, it just, it doesn't work. I mean, again, I've, 
I've always been a big Porzingis guy. I've, I've been pretty off it this year because it's it's hard to defend. I would, I I would give up. I would, yeah. I would maybe pack up the box and send it to Goodwill, your Porzingis stuff. Yeah. So, well, I made a bunch of it initially. Like I was first round angel investor. I liked him before anyway. So I've already made a ton of money on my Porzingis stock. But whatever I've held on to, I was like, oh, I guess I can't get two boats. It's like Dogecoin. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Wait, can we talk so, about the Lakers really quick? Or you yeah, gonna, you no, know, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. And okay. that, I, I thought LeBron actually, you know, did get pretty assertive there at the end. But you know, Kuzma was was bad. Um, Kuzma, go ahead. I just, I if he played for like Detroit, nobody would even know what he looked like. Yeah, I mean, just, he was a leading scorer on a bad Lakers team, so he's got some shine. You know, he's he's got some. I don't know what a, he is. I, I thought he was going to reinvent himself as this defensive dude. Maybe it's not the series for him, but um, he's just not. He's too like upright in his in his feet. I used to yeah, like his effort happening. and stuff with him, but there's just something about him and the way he moves defensively. Um, but I actually thought they were starting to figure it out a little bit with him um, because last year he had a harder time with it, and you could tell yeah. like the minutes if LeBron doesn't play with you, that's a pretty good sign that something's wrong. LeBron sent and, a text to somebody, yeah. And then they've played together more. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like all the all the games of watching this year were like, it was pretty clear last year Kuzma wasn't out there when LeBron was out there. Um, but you sent me a text on one of the threads and you were like, are you preparing yourself for another epic Chris Paul collapse? And I thought it was way too early. I thought it was way too early for that text. Well, because LeBron just, had that look all of a sudden. It's like, oh my God, the Suns are going to blow this. Chris has a game four history. There's been some rocky game fours in his past, and I was I was just preparing you. But I, you could call he, it a reverse jinx. He had that steal, which was monumental on that Gasol mm. pass, huge play. So as it sits here two two, and then Paul talks after the fact, and he was almost crying. Bill, like, did you see his post game? He was almost brought to tears, and I was just like, I love this guy so much. I think he but, was happy to be in person with Rachel Nichols, his his buddy from the jump. Just like that might have been it. That they're they're like that the Frost Nixon of our generation. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. But <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking about what I need to prepare myself for mentally. Because look, for whatever anybody thinks, what's about our worst my, case scenario? My, my rooting interest and in all this different stuff. Like the only thing I'm rooting for now is Chris Paul, and I know how challenging. Can I tell you? Was. Can I, I give I, you a scenario? Can I spell it out for you? Suns win Game Five. Davis doesn't play. Yeah. Game Six. Davis comes back. Aiton gets four fouls in the first 90 seconds of the game. Two touch fouls. Four. Four yeah, in the four first fouls. 90 seconds. They, Monty didn't realize he had three. He didn't take him out in time. He got a fourth one. It followed by three His assistant sitting there with a clipboard being yeah. like, I had two. I had two. We're, we basically reenact Kings-Lakers game six uh, in 2002. With, and now we're back in Phoenix for game seven. But it's like Phoenix is home. They've got this. And then Paul they gets blow hurt. like a six-point lead. Yeah, Paul retweaks his injury and then they, they blow a six point lead in the last five minutes and and then uh LeBron hits the game winning shot and now the last dance stuff starts again. When I look at all the series, and believe me, I'll I'll bring it to the, the Clippers Phoenix side of this, I feel like once things settled, at least the way I saw the series, they settled in the way that I thought they would. <laughs> I mean, people wanted to act like the Wizards maybe were competitive with Philly. I know what the score was. I watched the game. I don't think there was ever any threat and the rest of that series has played out the way I thought it would. Um, Atlanta got the first one. You see the second one. That one's played out the way I thought it would. Miami, hey, the overtime, no, not really. Brooklyn, Boston, forget it. 
And then even and we with, knew Nuggets Blazers was going to go seven. We didn't know who was going to win. Yeah, well, I didn't really know who to pick yeah. because you know what? Yeah. When it's going we'll get, seven, we'll, we'll just, get we'll to get it. There. But when one team wins, you're like, oh, that team's not going to lose. And then, and then they're down 30 the next day. So Phoenix LA played out the way I thought it would play out. But game one was misleading because you go, look at Phoenix. Wow. And I just was surprised more people had picked Phoenix because I just felt like when it's right, when both teams are right, Phoenix isn't going to be able to handle this front line. And then LA just looks so big and dominant the previous two games. I go, okay, so now this is the first time since the series was announced that I've allowed myself the thought of Chris Paul getting through the Lakers in the first round, which again, it's not the same thing with no Davis. But the reason I bring that all up is I have two friends. I think I've told the story once before and it'll be quick. It won't be the way bog story. I'll tell you, I promise you. Um, <laughs> One of my friends was like making a move, right? He was getting like a fancier apartment. He may have started dating somebody, was like going to be a real grown up. We're all around 30 years, 30 years old. And one of our other friends who's has zero filter whatsoever, but he feels like he has no filter whatsoever. So let's call the one guy, Steve, that was making the move. And the advice guy's name was Mark. And everybody was really excited for Steve. And Mark said, I don't know. I don't know if I'm excited for you. Because I think what you're doing is you think you're reaching a higher high but you really could be setting yourself up for a lower low. Mm. And that's how I feel about this Chris Paul storyline, because I've talked myself into it now possibly happening when I couldn't be that disappointed when I didn't think it was a reality. In your favor, how many players on the Lakers at some point over the last six hours texted somebody who's close to them and said, I, I should be playing more? <laughs> <laughs> Three-fourths of the roster? Do the Lakers not have to worry about the Talon Horton Tucker Max anymore? Who's <laughs> His rookie cards have taken a dip. Um, I don't think the Lakers... I think everyone on that team feels like I should be doing more. I should be playing more. Um, I don't know why they're not... Like, even Schroeder, they're the, the last gasp Lakers moment for them, right? Where it was... LeBron was kind of feeling it. They were, like, down eight. It was still kind of conceivable last two minutes. Paul picked Gasol, and then the next play, Schroeder's like, I got this, did this crazy layup and missed. And um, I just I just feel like their calibration's a little off. They weirdly miss KCP. I was texting a Laker buddy I agree. about that. I was yeah. like, wow, you yeah. guys miss KCP. I can't believe I'm You know why, though? Because he's like real rotation minutes. And that's what's yeah. so crazy about some of the stuff that we're seeing here in the playoffs is we got the two teams that probably most people picked who still don't really know what their rotation is. Uh, the Nets probably do now, if, if those three, because it kind of doesn't really matter. But when I watch the Lakers, and again, Davis goes down, so you're scrambling a bit and you're trying to figure it out. But the Gasol-Drummond thing, like I've had times you're like, why is everybody so excited about Gasol? And then I watch Drummond play. And then Montrez can't even get out there now. And so the Pope part <sighs> is, you're right on with it, because at least it's a 30-minute plug-in that you go, all right, there's nobody else that I think should be taking his minutes away from him. You could close with something differently because the Caruso defensive part of this, but then again, that depends on who you're playing. So, um, Well, he's another one. All of a sudden, he looks terrible. He was yeah. one of the biggest reasons they won the Warriors playing game, and now you know it's, it doesn't look like he can figure out how to have any sort of impact in this series. I think the Laker fans should be nervous. They at least have their excuse now. They can blame the Davis injury. Um, I'll just remind them that they won in 09 because KG got hurt and they won in 2010 because Perkins got hurt. So you're not allowed to play the injury card, guys. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back one second. 
This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. So if the Lakers get bounced in round one, do we have to go back to 2020 bubble playoff basketball and just not, I'm not saying put an asterisk next to it, but just be like, all right, that was fucking weird. And that becomes like, it goes along with like the 1999 post lockout playoffs where the Knicks made it as an eight seed. We'll just look at that historically. Cause I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward that's how we're going to rem- remember it. I know you want that to be there. You want me to say great take, great idea. Let's, let's ding them here. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on this. It's, it's two, two Davis got hurt. I was leaning Davis more to the Miami part. The fact that Miami got swept seven months later. Now this the is Lakers the first are time. Trouble, yeah, but it's the, like, uh, the all thing right, what about are we making this? the bubble now? The Celtics fucking terrible. Like, uh, see, I, I would, I would give you a harder time. Like somebody else might call you a fraud. I would call you consistent because this is the first time now that you've been anti that Miami team because I had to hear from you how they were hurt and they actually were closer in the NBA finals when they didn't have a fucking chance to beat that Lakers team last year. I'm sorry. They weren't beating them. And you've told me six games a million different times. So you've actually been incredibly consistent about this until Thank now you. that you just want to dismiss Miami for the first time no, since just, they were in the NBA finals, what, seven months ago? I think the combo the bubble but also like just watching normal basketball with crowds again and seeing home court advantage again and um i just don't know if milwaukee loses a conventional playoffs to miami i guess would be be my case yeah but i think milwaukee's better milwaukee's better miami's not and the bubble had a way of narrowing any sort of advantages you had and then it could be you know Jimmy Butler doesn't need a crowd. He's a self-motivator. Like there's all these weird scenarios. I don't know. I just was, I look back at the bubble and how weird some of those series were and results were. And, you know, even Toronto hanging tough with Fred Van Vliet and Lowry and Siakam, you know, 
having a horrible series and somehow almost winning a, you know, making the conference finals. I'm just like, it was just weird. I, I just think we're going to remember it as a really weird two months of basketball that I loved. I really enjoyed. I love the competitiveness of it, but I don't really think it resembled the typical playoffs. And I think that's how we're going to remember it. That's my only case. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not there yet. And I'd also add to it that, you know, part of the reason the Lakers, you know, if things were normal and they didn't miss their two best players for almost half the season, then they're not a seven seed playing a really good Phoenix team. Right. So, and that's the asterisk for this season, right? The condensed regular season led to some seed chicanery and led to the the Lakers probably have to play game seven in Phoenix. Uh, Jazz, I don't know what to make of the Mitchell thing anymore. He's hurt. He's not hurt. He's making the game-winning plays down the stretch, but looks like he's still hurt. Um, clearly incredibly important to them. And if I'm Memphis, I felt like game three was sitting there for them and they lost their composure and they just looked like a really young team that really wanted it. They were home. Uh, it was a tie game, five minutes left. They had a ton of momentum. Brooks gets a dumb foul and all of a sudden they're down 10. I feel like this one's playing out the way it should play out. Um, and as much as I think we've all kind of loved this Memphis run, you know, and appreciated it and learning about Ja and Ja getting the national notoriety and looking at him and going, hey, you know, this team's kind of sneaky deep. Watching that fourth quarter last night was, was like a nice reminder of how good Utah can be. And I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm tracking. Mitchell had only played 20 minutes total by the time he checked back into the fourth quarter. And Conley had been doing a really good job, but you still weren't sure because it felt like Mitchell was out there. And you're like, and I'm I'm looking at it. How many, I'm like, how many possessions has he been in there? He hasn't touched the ball. And then boom, the end one drive. He gets Valanciunas, who Memphis, you know, like we talk about with Biggs a lot in the playoffs, it can be super frustrating trying to figure out like who's like, how is my big gonna work tonight? Because some nights it works, and sometimes I'm like, I don't, it's just not working. Valanciunas gets caught in a screen. It wasn't even that tough of a, a switch. It was just, okay, Mitchell's going to have a little momentum. Valanciunas is backing up a little bit, sticks the three. And then he gets Brooks in a dumb foul, which is just going to continue to happen now all the time. It's like, guys can't stop fouling on the three-point line. It's out of control. And he gets Brooks fouled out, makes the free throws. But you're right. I wrote down, I'm like, why is he so mad? Is he pissed off about being sat out? What the hell is going on with this team? But look, they're better than them. And you can tell Ja, who's not hitting the shots that he hit against Golden State in the playing game, like that's the plan. And you can also see too a little bit like the Giannis Wall that we talk about. It's the primary defender with Ja. Gobert goes to the free throw line, and then whoever is the closest wing defender leaks towards him, and it still doesn't work <laughs> all the time. But if they can stop him, especially when Brooks is on the bench towards the end, there's just not a second guy. And Jaron Jackson for all the talent. The guy's only played like 11 or 12 games and he can't hit a shot. He can't hit a shot. So that's a huge problem for them right now. Youthful, youthful exuberance with Ja. We talked about this in part one where Trey has kind of gone up a level with how to, how to control the game. Ja's still do, trying to dunk over Rudy Gobert and because it would be cool for the crowd if he dunked on Rudy Gobert in a playoff game. But it's like, dude, there's five minutes left and you're not, not only you're not going to dunk on Rudy Gobert, he's going to do the block it or foul you, but you actually might, that's a great way to get hurt. I don't know. know. I love it. So I, uh, I, I know what you're saying. I don't saying. like it in a playoff game. It's like, you got to pick your spots, dude. 
You're not dunking on Rudy Gobert. Like that's yeah, but how if you he break got your one, wrist. If he got one on him and they come back and win, we'd all be saying like that changed the game because somebody finally Nobody's got Gobert. That. I just really worry about how reckless Ja is sometimes with some that's of these fine. drives. Yeah. I really think he's going to get hurt. And I, I think the I've talked to like Verno and Grizzlies fans about it. It's the biggest fear of the whole Grizzlies fan base is he plays like this, you know, this crazy wide receiver who's flying over the middle into three safeties, you know, and, and I don't know, you got to pick your spots, but, um, they're young. They got a lot of promise. The Jackson thing to me, you said it, the fact that they're getting nothing out of him, you know, imagine if it was 80% of what you thought you were going to get from him. I wonder like, why aren't they playing Tillman more? How many minutes did he play? Uh, I didn't play game three. He got a DMP that last game. I, I think I really like Tillman. I would have, I would have at least thrown him out there because I think at least against Gobert, you know, can he can defend a little bit on one end, but at least you can pull him away. I'd like to see them try that. Um, this is all breaking beautifully for Utah. This whole Western thing, where you had the Clippers who looked like they were going to take a haymaker, and then Luca gets hurt, so now the Clippers are going to advance. I wouldn't be afraid to play them. And then you have in the other bracket, you have the Lakers potentially not even being there. And you could have a Phoenix versus Portland slash Denver in the other bracket. And uh, yeah, Utah. I don't know. It's weird to think of them in a final. I don't know why it's like, it kind of like breaks your brain, right? But the Utah Jazz would be in the finals. I just think people have a hard time with it because none of these guys have done anything. Like we have a hard time with new. Yeah. We just have a hard time when it's, when it hasn't been done, you know, even golden state's first year, it was like, wait, what? Like I remember Ethan Strauss picked him. He covered him for ESPN.com and he picked him win the title that first year. And people were uh, kind of like, what? So what are you doing? Sim so did Bill Simmons at 30 to one. Me and Sal bet on it. That was your bet or was that your pick? We bet on them at 30 to 1. Okay, you bet on it at 30 to 1. And it was my pick. One. And you it picked was them pick. before the season started. Yeah. You picked Golden State to win I the title. I picked them and I bet on them at 30 to 1. How what, do you bet on anyone else, huh? Nope. Really? I was all in on Steve Kerr. Yeah. Wow. Remember 2015 was a weird year. No, I think I picked I picked the Cleveland Golden State final, and I think I had Cleveland beating Golden State, but I bet on Golden State. That's impressive. I didn't know that. I figured Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr was worth at least two series wins. Two that's proven correct. Two. Yeah. <laughs> two series wins. That's proven correct. Uh Nuggets Blazers quickly. Um I don't know. I can't think of an angle. I just feel like we're going seven. I have no idea who's gonna win. We've seen the best and worst of each team. Um, and I wish I had something smart to say about this series, but I just don't. Um Jokic isn't getting much help. I mean, game three, he got an all-timer game from Austin Rivers, who just starts lighting everybody up. You know, we know in game one, single coverage, hey, that was smart, that worked. Look what happened. Why would you pick Denver? Look at the backcourt mismatch here. I mean, it's absurd what kind of guards Portland's running out there against what Denver's running out there. And the reason I like Denver is because I was like, well, they're just bigger, though. They're bigger everywhere. And Portland doesn't beat any good teams in the regular season. It's not going to matter. Every game has it looked different. So I thought, like, hey, Denver settled. They figured it out. They're bigger. Um, even if they're not playing single against Jokic all the time, I, I couldn't stop laughing game three. 
when they decided to go like Covington and then they brought Mello over for the worst double ever. And then who's who's worse at Dublin, Mello or Westbrook? Both of them well, do it West- like they're like they're drunk guys <laughs> leaving a bar. <laughs> they just meander Westbrook, over, they trip over a beer bottle, and they fall yeah, in a homeless I, guy. The difference is, is Westbrook doesn't tell it. No one else knows when he's going to do it. True. He does rogue he, doubles. Right, he'll just double, and then a guy will go baseline free, and then everybody looks yeah. at Westbrook, and then he just turns around to them. Mello appears to have been a, a delayed double, but he really delayed it, and then he got caught, and it was it's just a dunk over his head. But if you look at some of the efficiency numbers beyond Jokic, like Millsap's the only guy really getting it done for him. Um, you know, some of the some of the numbers look okay. I think they're a little misleading for them. So I don't I'm with you. I don't know what to make of the series because whoever ends up winning, you're like, oh, they're not gonna lose again. But I just like Denver's size more. But if you tell me Portland's backcourt's just too much for Denver, um, you know, Dame game seven, you know, it's a tough thing to go against. I, I suck on this series. I've watched it all. I, I do know. too. Yeah, I I, I haven't I haven't bet any of the games. Um I don't know what to make of it. And Malone just, lit him up. Said they the, played soft. Nurkic had one good game. So you were like, oh, wait, is he back? And then when he fouled out of game three, it was over. And then they couldn't play Canner. So they went small in game three. Poor Canner. Year after year, the whoever his coach is realizes he can't play Canner when he actually needs him. It seems like the Blazers are down to seven guys. Yeah. And, and then they were down 30 in game four. So then you don't have to worry about the Canner part. And then the Nuggets are down to like 15 guys. They have no idea who to play other than the, the best couple of guys. It's like if, you, if you're wearing a Nuggets uniform, you might play in a playoff game. It really might happen. But um, I guess my one point I would make about this series is it'll be a good legacy one for either Jokic or Dame because I don't think either of their teams are very good. But um, but whoever comes out of this would be like, wow, look at that series. Um before we go, I want to talk about Bottle Guy because I do have a take on this. Yeah, go for it. So one shithead Celtics fan thinks it's a good idea to toss a plastic water bottle as, as Kyrie's leaving the court today. First of all, I don't understand why anybody does anything at these games. They have cameras everywhere. They can find whoever does whatever. They're going to hunt you down. So just first point, that's idiotic. Second, just don't do that anyway. Like you're there to cheer, boo, whatever. Um, I, I just don't get the mindset of I'm going to throw something. I'm going to cross some line. Like, what's the point? Um, but then it gets tied into like fans, plural, when it's one rogue asshole who does something. And it's like, this is one person. You can't judge 20,000 people by one. So don't do that either. But I guess my bigger point is this. People love getting upset about the fan behavior and how terrible it is and um, can't believe this. We've got to do better. Everybody is moralizing about it. I would argue the behavior is terrible across the board everywhere. It actually makes sense to me that it's getting worse at NBA games, that people are acting more inappropriately than maybe they did two, three years ago because that's kind of what happened all over the place. I mean, social media is a fucking cesspool. Um, I don't think people treat each other very well across the board. And I'm actually, I guess I'm, I'm surprised dumb shit like this doesn't happen more often because I think we're losing sense of how to treat other people. So some shithead at this game today is like, Oh, there's Kyrie. He's leaving. I'm going to try to hit him with a water bottle. Like I, this is stuff that, you know, 
on the one hand, it's an isolated incident. On another hand, is it any different than saying something shitty to somebody on Twitter? Like, I, I think the mindset of just like, I'm going to act like a dick and there aren't going to be any consequences seems to be all over the place right now. And, um, it just bums me out, I guess is my point. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm kind of surprised it doesn't happen more often because I think the lack of respect that we all have for each other has never been lower. Or yeah. again, we just have more access to the lack of respect, um, which is also why I think you have so many players being like, hey, I'm sick of this shit because not only are they getting yelled at during the game, they're going home to check stuff and they're getting DMs if their Instagram DMs are opening and getting awful shit said to them all the time. I mean, I don't get it that bad, but I, I understand it enough. I've seen things, you know. And Anybody I've who's stuff. a public yeah, figure right. gets it. You're going to you're gonna have stuff sent to you and you could sit there and, and talk about it all the time because it gets old. So... I'm with you because like I watch, I watch AAU videos on Instagram and it's honestly the worst slice of our society. Like it's so bad. I watch these videos of like these young kids playing basketball and then the people and how they behave. And I was like, this is awful. Like this is normal. And every time I watch one of them, it's like, I got to close out of it. So you might be onto something there. I think the coverage of it from a media thing, like you feel like you have to do something on it, but just from an interesting level, like I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and do an open on the podcast. And I didn't touch on it this week being like, okay, when I see somebody say the NBA needs to do more or the NBA needs to do this, or this has to stop. We can't shit, let it's this like, happen right, anymore. It's like, so what you're really asking is that you need something to be implemented that changes personal behavior forever. That seems like a challenging task. So it's not indifference. I'm mad about it too. I'm mad about it because, you know, here's Boston that I believe is, you know, so unpopular right now um, for, I guess, a bunch of different reasons. And, you know, I don't think anybody confuses me. Like people that, that know me know it's not like I'm running around. I have like Boston flags all over my house. Okay. But Everything that happened this week. Plus, you're, you're from the vineyard. You're barely yeah. from Mass. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, I know. No, I'm aware. You're like I'm a, aware. basically in Puerto Rico. Where'd you go to high school? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, I, I, I look at it and go, hey, you know that that dickhead, you know, made everybody feel even better about dumping on Boston. So, you know. I, I don't know. Like, I don't, there's no part of me, like me being, me looking at the topic going like, all right, you know, it doesn't make me want to defend anybody. I like, I, who's, who's actually, who has a voice going, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Unless you're just doing the ultimate zag to get people to notice you. But I think your point, the general point of, we probably treat each other worse than ever before is, is probably the best thing that was said. Here's the thing. So guy throws a water bottle. He shouldn't have. He's a dick. Um, Guy dumps popcorn on Westbrook. And now we have, now you can put those clips together and be like, fan behavior is out of control. I guarantee fan behavior is a million times worse on social media. A million times worse. And nobody seems to care about that. And everybody talks about, oh yeah, social media, it's so toxic. Guess what? Everybody's going to social media every day. Like to me, social media has become the new smoking. It's like fucking cigarettes in the 50s and 60s when they kind of had an idea that maybe cigarette smoking was bad, but everybody still did it and they still had the commercials and we all looked the other way. I think the social media stuff is so toxic and everybody knows it's toxic, but people are still on there doing it. Nobody cares about that. But now we have plastic bottle guy, popcorn guy, and 
assholes. Well, spitting that, on Trey guy. And I mean, spitting that's on like, Trey guy. Oh, and then we have the shitheads in Utah. And now that gets to be this whole fan behavior. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. If we're going to do the we've got to do better card, let's try to do better all over the place. Let's try to behave better in all aspects because we're not going to solve it by just, just calling out a couple fans. People are going to act like assholes. It's going to keep happening. We can say what we want, but people act like assholes because they act like assholes 24-7 to each other. People don't treat each other correctly. And it's annoying. Yeah, like I can be madder about it if, if you want me to be madder about it, you know, but I think it's an unsolvable thing. That's why when I see debates about it and this and that, then it just turns into everybody being like, no, I'm more mad than you are. Well, you think you're mad. Wait, do you see how mad I am? And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of people and people are going to do dumb shit. So I don't think it's ever going to go away unless you just have no fans. I had to on my Instagram a couple of days because I had Adam Duritz on from Counting Crows. And my daughter, it's her favorite band. She was all excited about that he was on. So she played this song that she loves from them on the piano. Which was incredible, by the way. I yeah, didn't she's know scared. that she's about her. That was insane. So um, I put it on my Instagram stories and then the Adam Duritz saw it and he's like, hey, that was awesome. And he shouted it out to his people, but on the Instagram stories, they disappear. So I put it as a post so people could see it because he had recommended it. And I had to put in the, in the post, I was like, Hey, you know, be nice in the comments. My daughter's only 16. Like, think how sad that is that I had to put that in a, in an Instagram post. Like, please don't rag on my daughter. She's a 16 year old kid. Like I felt obligated to put that in. That I know. I would back to my point. Like right. people, people, I just think are unnecessarily shitty all over the place. So when I see the water bottle guy, were you shocked that somebody threw a water bottle at Kyrie? Of course, there was going to be one asshole out of 20,000. It's fucking depressing. And we, I, I just wish people treated each other better. That's it. That's my yeah. rant. Uh, anything else we want to hit? I got Adrian Griffin coming on Tuesday's pod. You had Mahorn on your pod and he claimed that he wasn't malicious as a player and that he was still good with a couple of the Celtics. He used to step on Mikhail's broken foot. I Just for the Do listeners, you, you can understand. you think we forgot this, Ricky Mahorn? Yeah, I got He was I got like, a text, I was never dirty. I got a text from Bill hours after that posted. And he's like, hey, Mahorn. And I was like, yeah, I know. I should have I should have pressed. But we all know how those guys are. Who has ever said, like, yeah, I was pretty dirty? Like, no they one ever does it. So... Mikhail um, had a cracked foot and Mahorn would step <laughs> on it during the playoff game. He's like, you know, I was never malicious. I was like, what? And the best is like, he was like, no, all those guys like me. And you're like, Mikhail hates him. <laughs> what are you talking them. about? Bird hated Lambert so much that he, he didn't even have time talk to him on the all-star buses. Yeah. He definitely like that was where I kind of pushed back on that one. But then it's like he hated Lambert so much. I don't think Bird had room for Mahorn hate. I'd always like Mahorn. I, I know you probably think I'm nuts, but for whatever reason, I always like Mahorn a little bit. I I kind of liked him too. I actually really liked that Barkley, Mahorn, Hawkins, Dawkins team. <laughs> I loved with it. With Gmo. I thought that was a really good team. They just had the misfortune of playing during like this incredibly stacked league where you had like the Bulls coming on, you had the Pistons in their prime. You had the Lakers and the Suns and the Blazers, but I, I think in another era that Sixers team, yeah, they were frisky. all right. They were all right. I mean, but Barkley they had, was a, they had an awesome player though. Yeah, but they were they were still a like good supporting cast, competitive in the playoffs too. Like that used to be kind of my rule. Like if you're one of those great players, like you at least win in the first round. 
like no matter what, you get yourself a first round series. Now the league is so deep. I don't know that that rule applies anymore. But I think for me, there was, you know, being a skinny rail of a kid getting pushed around playing sports, I would always kind of like guys like Mahorn because I was like, that must be awesome. It must be awesome to actually have guys afraid of you. That was my first terrible gambling loss in basketball was Sixers Bulls. I think I was a sophomore in college. Oh, you, you what did you bet the Sixers for the series? It was like game three or game four, one of those. No, I bet the Sixers. Oh, you bet like, it for the game. I was like, they've got this figured out. No, I think it was actually the other way. I think it was game three, and I was like, Bulls got it. They're going to sweep. And then I think they won. I think the Sixers won game three in at home against the Bulls. And I'd bet on Michael Jordan, I lost. And then uh, it really hurt my feelings. And that was oh. when I should have known, don't bet on basketball, but I still do it 30 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least at least for you, you can argue there's there's been some benefit to you. So if we go through this, because I, I like to pull this up and, and dip in there. 1990? I was a sophomore. Yeah, 91. Bulls, Sixers? 91, uh, no, maybe? No, 90 and 91. 91. So, oh, I was, that's I right. A, yeah, it was game three. It was game, game three, three, and they won. Sixers and they lost win in five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had the I had the Bulls. It was like Bulls minus three. It was my first devastating basketball loss. Yeah, because that was that was when Charles like he went on this run. Yeah, where they got Milwaukee. Uh, no, they lost to Milwaukee, but then oh shoot, that's right, they got swept by the Knicks. But then like later on. Because I looked through it, I thought, like, because everybody always gave him a horn. They'd say, like, Mahorn ruined Barkley, right? Because they went out all the time. And if you look at some of the other stats, like, you could argue it's two of Barkley's best years, other than winning all those games with Phoenix and winning the MVP. But there's not, like, some thing where all of a sudden Barkley fell off and wasn't getting as many rebounds because he was tired or something. But those were those years where, because I hadn't moved yet, I remember watching those series, and my father's like, you're way too hopeful about this Philadelphia team. The East like, was good. The Knicks, no were, the Knicks were he good would, around that stretch? He would win... Yeah, back then, after that, yeah, because he beat Cleveland in five. He swept Milwaukee. Cleveland was good. And then he was in Phoenix, 93, 92-93. You know, it was pre-expansion. No one cares. I'm just resetting no, no. game logs now. The league back then in that 89-90 range, I think they only had like 23, 24 teams because they hadn't all the, all the expansion yet. And it's a little similar to now where even though there's 30 teams, there's just more talent. So it goes back to our point before where it's like you can have Tatum and Jalen Brown in the same team and that you're 500. You could have Kawhi and Paul George in the same team and you might not even be guaranteed to make round three. Um, the the late 80s were like that. That's why I love that era. Yeah, because Mahorn was was going over it and he was an expansion draft pick, but then he got traded after he was taken. And then he was like the same GM. He said a so-called GM. He's like, he traded me twice in like three years. Have so. you read, there's a book called The Franchise that I think is one of like the best six basketball books ever. It's about, Jack McCluskey and the uh, the piss putting together those Pistons teams, and um, and basically about the the title that they win, but then having to make the expansion pick because they had to protect eight guys, but they had nine guys to protect. The Mahorn was the logical one to it was either Mahorn or James Edwards to let go, but it's a really good book about putting together a basketball team, and basically McCluskey's trying to build a basketball team around a six foot one guy. Isaiah. And it's the only, the only time a team's ever done it. Where it's like, we have a 6-1 guard who's our best player. How do we build a championship team around this? And it's the only time it's ever happened. But it's a really good book. 
I mean, that team is stacked, really, if you think about it. Because, it I mean, not only you have Vinny Johnson, you got Dumars, and then you get the Adrian Dantley stretch and then get flip him from Mark Aguirre. Mark Aguirre was, like, when he's your fourth option, that's ridiculous. And Edwards could hit shots, and they had Rodman, enough bigs. Dumars. You know, Rodman, Lambeer, and when you look at it, because Mahorn, I think, got there a little bit later because um, he was there the Lakers finals and then he when they lost and then the sweep he played and then he was left unprotected, I believe. He was left but, unprotected for the second season. Yeah. He, he was yeah. there for the first title. Right. Yeah, they, they, uh, that team was loaded. They made really smart That's moves. That's loaded. Think about those guys we just ran through. That's your eight or nine. But the thing is, if you had, if you had six more teams... You know, if you have a 30 team league instead of 23, 24, whatever it is, you don't have Rodman. You know, yeah. you, you have seven of those guys. Or maybe nine. you don't have one of those guards. You know, maybe Dumars is making more money somewhere else as the number one option. But when you think about, well, I don't know. I, I guess I, the point is, is, like, even though I'm sure, you know, your obsession with the Celtics, you probably hated that Detroit thing, but it was, I did. It was scary. You were you hated it because you were scared of them. Although there is this weird persecution complex that that group has that's completely unjustified, where they're like, "Oh, well, everybody hates us because we beat the Celtics, and then we beat the Lakers, and then we beat the Bulls." It's like, no, it's a twenty-year stretch. Chicago won six, LA won five, Boston won three, and you guys won two, and it was in back-to-back -back years. Like that's it. So like. The Lakers-Celtics 80s thing, you're not going to trump. And then congrats on your two titles, but Jordan got six and eight. And so if there's a fourth-place team to be brought up over those two decades, it's you guys. And there's no debate about you jumping any of those three teams in front of you. And when you watch that Bad Boys thing, every one of those guys is like, oh, well, you know, we, we never get mentioned with them. It's like, no, you guys get mentioned, but you're not going to be mentioned ahead of them in the pecking order. That's why we did the documentary. Because they were like the lost... To me... I remember comparing them to Larry Holmes where they're this great champ, but they just weren't as cool as the other champs. They weren't as cool as Ali and Tyson. Larry Holmes just came between Ali and Tyson and he wasn't as cool. The yeah, Pistons, but at least the Pistons like took somebody out. Holmes I know, fights but the Ali came, and he shouldn't be fighting him. True. The Pistons came between Celtics Lakers and then the Bulls. And they <laughs> were kind of the stopgap team and they had, you know, I told the story, but I watched the 30 for 30 with Isaiah. He hadn't seen it. And he was like, cried throughout it because he felt like they had just never gotten their due. It was really emotional for all those guys. They won two titles. Everybody kind of shit on them. And just but, think, he wanted to kick your ass years prior to that. He did. Then we then we were hugging by 2000. How did that happen? Can we go from the timeline of Isaiah actually admitting, like in an interview, that the one guy he said, if I ever see Bill Simmons, it's going to be a problem. And then it, it worked out. Give me that story. So it was 2006. I did the atrocious GM. I used to make fun of how bad of a GM he was. I did the atrocious GM summit and he was really mad about it. And then he did some interview and somebody asked him about the criticism. He's like, you know, it rolls off me, but you know, if I ever saw Bill Simmons crossing the street, I would kick his ass or something like that. And, um, and I kept hearing like he was so mad that I kept going after him. And then I wrote about this in my book. I was in Vegas and Isaiah was there and Gus Johnson was there and Gus Johnson loved me. And, and he's like, I got to introduce to Isaiah. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. He kind of, you know, he kind of hates my guts. And he's like, I've got this. And he went, <laughs> went to go bring Isaiah. And then he came back somber Gus Johnson. And he was just like, uh, talk to Isaiah and he arranged his powwow and we kind of hashed it out. 
So that moment you had the powwow or was it? We had that moment at, at the wind topless pool in Vegas. We were playing blackjack and there was like a topless pool. And we were sitting by a topless pool and Isaiah Thomas and I hashed it out. Were you guys topless? We were not topless. Well, the other thing. When, what happened when, though? Like, tell me the very beginning of it. Because there has to be a little anxiety of those, those butterflies of like, where is this going to go in the first 30 seconds? No, because I, first of all, I was in Vegas. We're at a pool. There's a million people around and I had a couple of drinks with me. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's talk. Like I was kind of fired up to talk to him. And I was like, all right, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? We're getting a fist fight at a topless pool. Like it's not happening. Um, but you know, it's interesting when, when they were trying to talk me to do countdown, talk me into doing countdown, they wanted it to be me, Wilbon, Isaiah and magic. With no host. With the, the same no host thing. And I was just like, that's too weird. Like I've never done TV before. Isaiah Magic had this famous up and down history. And like, I don't know if I would do that. Like I, like it just seems like such a high degree of difficulty for that plane to land, you know, where Isaiah Magic, they're bringing all this baggage to it between them. And it's I've never done TV before. And we have two players and me and Wilbon. It's like, how, how is that going to be a good show? And they ended up, it did ended up not mattering because they were going to get Stan Van Gundy and then Stern squashed that. Yeah. And Stern wouldn't let him do it. Right. Stern squashed it. It was done. Stan and I had talked on the phone. We we're like, can't <laughs> wait to work together. And Stern squashed it. And then like with a week to go, Jalen got it. And Jalen's been there ever. Jalen's the only one who lasted. True story. Yeah. I'd heard the Stern Van Gundy thing. Everybody at ESPN kind of knew that one, at least on the NBA side, I think. They agreed to a deal with them. Like they just, they didn't paper it, but they agreed to terms. Like Stan Van Gundy was coming to ESPN to, to do countdown and work for with us. So they well, got the Pistons gig. So, um, out. all right. You got two more podcasts this week. I have two more podcasts this week. We have new rewatchables coming, uh, Monday night. I'll just tell you what it was. Memento. Do you like that movie? Or did you not do it? <laughs> we actually, uh, we have a fun gimmick for it that you could probably guess. Um, I loved it. I love that movie. I love any movie that tries to do something different and then it's Nolan. So it's a home run. I'd watch Nolan do a fucking Tide Pods ad and be like, yep, brilliant. So um, I watched Dunkirk the other night because I finished the Splendid in the Vile. Um, Churchill, you know, just Great Britain getting bombed out. <laughs> and well, look, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it just, I mean, you can know certain things about history, but you know, if you're my age and you go back and you read about a specific timeline, there's going to be some new stuff that you're learning all the time. Um, and I watched Dunkirk again because I had read the Dunkirk chapter in that book. And it's uh, a uh, memento in just because they tried something really challenging and made it cool. Rosillo, good seeing you. I'll see all you right. Sunday. Um, by next Sunday, we'll know answers to was Chris Paul redeemed? Did anyone win the Denver Portland series? Did it go to a game eight? Did the Knicks rally back? Did Luca what happened? There's gonna be a lot of answers. This this podcast had more questions than answers. The next one yeah. of answers. I'll see you in a week. All right, that's it for the podcast. Don't forget, part one was already up. If you missed that for some reason, I am coming back here on this feed on Tuesday. You can listen to Rosillo's podcast. He's got two more coming this week as well. New rewatchables coming on Monday night. 
And I will see you in this feed on Tuesday. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.